Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Pro Mentors Podcast. Glenn and I, we are the Minds on Muscle show, and today we have a, a fantastic episode that uh, Mr. Glenn Owen helped organize, which I'm really excited about. Today, we're going to talk about fallacies in the fitness business industry. Fallacies, Glenn. Fallacies. Fallacies. Too long, didn't read. Errors in reasoning and the way we look at things logically. And this, I think we can speak for it on so many different levels. It definitely applies to marketing, the way people see marketing, because the way we think about marketing, the way we reason it out is so important. You have to understand marketing well in order to get a really great handle on that. But I know you and I both know from a technical perspective, working with clients, how important recognizing errors in logic and reasoning is in order to help make the best decisions for the people that are in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we're understanding who the people are in front of us so that way we are doing the best job possible. But it is true that, I mean, in this little world, there are a lot of common fallacies and biases that have been overruling some of our decision making and sound bites that have been very domineering in the industry. So, Glenn, why don't we kick this thing right off super fresh? Um, what is a fallacy that you want to talk about first? I think the, the first one, it's, it's a bias, kind of also jumps into the fallacy world, which is the survivorship bias. Now, this is a huge one in the world of marketing because, well, let's talk about the defi definition first. The, the survivorship bias, the survivorship fallacy is essentially looking at one person and looking at all their successes and saying, well, this person did this, it worked well for them, if I do it, it'll work well for me too, and not realizing that for all the people that tried to be who that person is, a whole bunch of them, vast majority of them, failed. To give you an example in the world of business, people like to hold up Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos as these juggernauts of business, and they absolutely are. And people might say, well, Jeff Bezos um, thinks like this. Jeff Bezos does this or Elon Musk does this. And so if they do it, I should and I'll be successful too. What, what you'll forget or what you'll miss is that just because they did and it worked really well for them doesn't mean that it'll work well for you or your business. And it's the same thing in the world of marketing. There are so many people who tout their programs to be the best, who say that this is the only thing that you ever need to do in order to grow your client base. And you think, oh, that sounds great from a marketing perspective, but what about the hundreds and thousands of people that tried doing that person's doing and it didn't work? To give you an example, an outdated way of doing marketing, door-to-door -door sales. The world has changed. People don't like when you go to the door anymore. That feels too invasive. But if someone came around and said, listen, I've got the door-to-door -door marketing program, the only program you're going to ever need to grow your business, look at how successful it was for me. Sure, maybe it was successful for them. Maybe they had a door-to-door -door business that needed that, like glass cleaning or lawn mowing. Those are things where if you go to someone's house and you can show them right away the windows need cleaning and they don't want to do it or the grass needs to be mowed and that person doesn't want to do it, that's a really easy sale. But if you try to do door-to-door -door personal training, it's not going to happen. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that. I would say that I have had, we talked about this with Curtis Clay, right? We talked about people copying other people's stuff. They see someone who's doing something and it's relatively successful and they go, ah, this looks successful. These colors are successful. These machines are successful. They're saying these things on their website. I'm going to do the same. And I do understand the idea of fake it till you make it. I think there's a way that you can make that work. But if you're con consistently copying f people and you're just copying the top layer success, especially on social media, it seems to be so predominant that people see people in incredible shape. They see a successful business and they go, oh my gosh, I want that today. But they forego 
all of the failures. They forego all of the things that allowed that person to become who they are today. And at the same time, even if they emulated all the steps to get there, they're not the same person. No. And I think that that's a huge thing that you got to make sure that you're learning from your own lessons, but at the same time, putting the time in and learning the skills, you're not going to be able to pay fast. You're not gonna be able to get where you want to get fast by copying. You have to ultimately put the work in, learn the skills and innovate because you copy, you may be able to get so far. Yeah. I mean, that's where the phrase success leaves clues comes into play, right? Is people who are successful leave clues for you to find and follow and to mimic to some degree. But if you try to be something that you're not, and we even had this conversation with people in our mentorship a couple of weeks ago, if you try to be me or you try to be Brandon and do your marketing that way, you might see some success, but it's probably not going to be as powerful as if you put your own spin on it, your own flair on it, right? I mean, listen, go back and listen to the last podcast because we actually talk about that some more, so I won't belabor it here. But interestingly enough, one of the things you just talked about, Brandon, about, well, because it worked for them, it's going to work for me as well. That also comes into another fallacy, which is the hasty generalization fallacy, which is looking at a, uh, a set of actions taken by another person or a set of statistics and saying, oh, it worked for them or it worked there, so it's going to work for me. If you jump to conclusions too quickly with a very small data pool of information can bite you in the tuchus. And it's one of the reasons why we're so big about measuring here at Strata and through the FPM program. We really believe in tracking your KPI, your key performance indicators, because they're going to give you an idea of the health of your business, but also what's working, what's not working, especially when it comes to marketing. So to give you an example, one day we put a Facebook post out there and it got about 40 new people into our Facebook group, which was the biggest jump we ever had in a 24 hour period, which was amazing. And we track that information, that data saying, okay, we had 40 new leads come in on this day alone this week. Let's leave that and let's try some other strategies. And so over the past month or so, since that happened, we tried some other strategies. They haven't gotten as many people into the group. So, the example I'm trying to draw here is that we could say the only thing that's ever going to help us is to just keep doing this Facebook strategy. But maybe there's some other strategies that we haven't tried yet that might get us better quality leads or might get us warmer leads. Because if you're doing live webinars and seminars, you're having people in person to your facility to do something, or you're going to someone else's facility to do a seminar for their people, well, you might not get 40 new leads. You might only get two or three new leads. But what if those two or three new leads are super hot? What's the value there? Right? This is going to look at this long-term approach to things and keep tracking to see where the hot leads are, where the cold leads are, how valuable the different leads that we're getting coming into the system, where are they at? Because if you're not tracking, you're not getting all this information, you're just jumping to conclusions, you might end up stopping yourself. You might not be capitalizing on all the different ways that you could be growing your business. And that's really what this is all about, is learning about yourself, learning about your business, seeing what works and seeing what doesn't, so that you continue making better and better decisions. You know, I think you can draw an interesting parallel between people who are in shape and wanting to be in shape like a person and seeing someone online and business. Because if you see someone in a bodybuilding show, and they're in ridiculous shape on the day of the show. They look amazing, shredded, lean, big muscular calves, big muscular shoulder. And then you find out that they dieted for 16 weeks to get in that and they did all this stuff. You go, okay, great, I just need to do this for 16 weeks and I'm gonna look like that person. I'm gonna be that person. 
But in reality, you can't make that same generalization. It's not as simple as exercising for 12 weeks. What you're seeing is the summation of a clump of work, years, decades of work, maybe drugs, maybe different foods, maybe different training styles, maybe powerlifting to hypertrophy training, and it's so many different things. And without the proper metrics, you can't figure out how to even get to that point. You have to make sure that you're learning as much as you possibly can along the way, following the data and thinking for long-term success. At the same time, you could also kind of cast an over the whole thing by accident. You could actually do something to get an incredible shape, do something to get your business to a particular point and maybe getting lucky to get there. But if you're not tracking things, having consistent upward trajectory success is going to be difficult because you won't know what worked and what didn't work. Like Len said, amazing Facebook strategy. I thought we got up to like 51 new leads. I'm not too sure. Well, we was 40 leads in that day, but I posted in different groups. And so, and that's just even another great example example is the 40 leads came from one group and then we had another about 11 from other different groups that I posted in. So it's like, okay, which group now is going to be the most fruitful for us, right? So this is more information and more data collecting. It just further, I think, makes the point that we're trying to make here, not to be too redundant with the word make, is that tracking is super important and super key in growing your business to know what works and what doesn't. And I know we say it every week, the FPM clients that we have right now the thing that a lot of them say made the hugest impact in their business, and I'm not even kidding, is just tracking every lead that comes in the door and knowing where they're at in the cycle at all times. It's, it makes a huge, huge impact. You know, I think it helps you make more rational decisions because once you know the numbers and you know where people are coming from, you can truly figure out what is working, double down on those successes and move forward. We have a really simple example. And I talk about like a, if your post that you put online or your advertisement reaches 10 new people and of those 10 new people, eight people, contact you. And of those eight people, six become sales leads. We already have at that rate, a six to, sorry, a 60% conversion to sales conversation. But of those 60%, six people, if you will, let's say three become paying clients. If we track that those three paying clients, two of which came from an Instagram post and one of which came from a Facebook post, we now know that there's a 66% conversion of Instagram posts to sales versus Facebook post to sales. So we have this interesting thing that both Instagram and Facebook worked at a 30% rate, which may not be that great, but still we have those numbers. And now we know that the Instagram post yielded greater results. So if you want to double down on one, perhaps you could use Instagram to help bring more people in for your specific market. But you do need to know who your client avatar is and then frankly, where that particular market is at because different age demographics are in different areas. And if you're trying to target 95 year old people, it is unlikely that those 95 year olds are going to be on some social media platform. You're probably going to have to go to a geriatric center so that way you can best support them and learn more. Are you tracking this? Where can you find your clients? Do you even know? And this is why thinking about marketing logically and thinking about it with reasoning matters so much. I think a lot of people get stuck in this place where they're thinking about it perhaps almost too emotionally, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with having some emotions um, in your marketing and, and conveying yourself that way. One of the other fallacies that is hugely prevalent in so many different aspects in our lives and certainly in marketing as well is the appeal to emotion fallacy. And it's essentially foregoing logic and reasoning and appealing to someone's emotions in order to make them make a choice or a decision. And so, frankly, a lot of personal trainers are doing this even with their clients when they're trying to sell. And I've worked at big box gyms before where the whole premise is to make people so feel so bad about where they're at that they emotionally sign the name on the dotted line for 50, 100 sessions. That doesn't end very well uh, because once these people 
go home and they think about this thing logically, uh, they start fearing that they may have made a very poor decision. And that puts you in a very rocky position with them trying to explain why they're locked into a contract. But this isn't necessarily about talking with uh, clients and sessions. This is about marketing. So where does this appeal to emotion come in? The last thing that we ever want anyone to feel whether they're looking at our program or they're looking at other people's marketing efforts is thinking, oh, I would be so much happier or I would be so much better off if I was doing X, Y, Z thing. When we have people come into FPM, when we do our marketing here, sure, we want to connect with people and let them know how we're going to help solve that emotional problem they have, whether they have a fear of not having enough money or they're frustrated because they just know how to get more clients in. But at the end of the day, we make sure that logically they understand what they're getting themselves into. Hey, it's going to be 12 weeks. It's going to be at least an hour call every week. Plus, it's going to probably be about three or four hours outside the program to do some of the other work. There's going to be a long learning curve. Are you sure you want to get into this? Is this something that you really, really want to do? Making sure that the logical end of the uh, faculties in the decision-making process is there as well as the emotional end of things. And your clients, when you're marketing with them, are going to be going through the same thing where, sure, we and you are going to be appealing to people's emotions in your copy. But at the end of the day, unless you can deliver a solid product that gets results, that's the logical end of things here, you're going to be treading water. And if you aren't delivering something to people that is tangible, you don't have those numbers that you're tracking, right? Which falls in the realm of science and logic. And these people can't see the progress that they're making and they don't feel any different. And you've got a relationship built purely on emotion. That's a rocky foundation. Yeah, you certainly cannot just have a, a, that entire thing be based off of emotion. And I mean, this is the thing when you're doing like a big product sales, like I mean, car salesman, actually Taylor that works here just bought a brand new car, yeah. crushing it, nice car. It's gonna look really, really cool. Um, but it's the same kind of thing. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, in a car sales where there's a contract and once it's signed, it's definitive, uh, a lot more salespeople can get away with this kind of pushy, sign the contract, can't get out tactic. But at the end of the day for you, you cannot do that. I mean, understanding emotion, because ultimately it is one's emotional pains that will drive them to make most decisions, especially larger purchases in the health world, right? Health, money, and relationships are kind of like the three key pillars. Well, we're, we're appealing to the health and relationship side of things, mostly the health. If someone's scared of where their health may be and you can provide a viable option so they can move better, feel better, and have a higher quality life and feel better for as long as they're on this planet, then that's absolutely amazing, but you can't make them feel like dirt about it because if you can, you might be able to make a really big sale. And I've worked with people in my facility, like Glenn, at not this facility, at the first gym I worked at, where people would sign year-long contracts. Once the contract was signed, the salesperson was done, but there was still the fulfillment side of things. The professional has to fulfill that service. They have to provide good results. They have to make positive changes and they have to like you, but there needs to be that rational component of it. Because if they come in and you don't do a good job over time, you can't just make them feel terrible every single time they come in. It ultimately comes down to reminding them and talking about the emotional reason why they're coming in, but talk about logical, mechanical reasons why the thing you're doing is going to help them. Don't get me wrong. Marketing and sales, a big part of it comes down to emotions, but we have to make sure that we understand the weight of that and we can make sure there's a rational decision. And as Greg Mack has talked to us about, avoid this idea of buyer's remorse. We want people spending a lot of money happily. And I think this is where the value of the Facebook group and educating and masterclasses comes, becomes so important. 
And I mean, and this is maybe my opinion and you, maybe you disagree, Brandon, or people watching might disagree or listening might disagree. But when I see people marketing and it's booty pics and flexing their muscles and that's what they're doing, they are selling you most of the time on emotion. Hey, look at me. Look how great I am. Look how great I look. If you want to look this great and feel this great, you can do that too, right? That's kind of talking about the emotion land of things when it's all just pictures of nice looking people. We are big believers here at FPM on going down the education route in terms of building value. Two big reasons here. One, when you educate, people can logically get involved in what you're doing. It makes sense. And for the lifetime value of a client, they're going to run away from you after a while if it's all about the emotional stuff. There's a, that's, a, that's a clock. It's ticking down. But if you're constantly educating by doing these social media masterclasses on your Facebook or going live or sharing your posts on Instagram and people feel like they're learning, they're getting better, you're increasing the value that you provide and the lifetime value of every client coming into your door, especially if you can show them with logic and reasoning the numbers that you're providing, how they're improving. And this is really, I think, the crux of why we love doing the educational stuff here. I mean, it's, it's so important. The lifetime value of a client that understands why you're doing things and feels smart for being with you is a lifetime. It, re it really could be. And I know most trainers who have clients that are with them for 10 plus years is because they do a great job educating and communicating that. Yeah, big, big time. Now, there's another fallacy, and I'm going to steal this one off the board that Glenn's got up there, and it's appealing to tradition fallacy. And I think this is a very powerful one because in reality, if you're thinking about that, tradition... So much in the fitness industry and exercise is redistributed. It's the same programs, same ideas. And to the point that in some cases, depending on the product that you're selling, you actually don't have to work that hard to sell it. Think of it like this, is that there are some products like powerlifting coaching, CrossFit, weight loss coaching. If you go to an F45 style gym, some of these commodity style facility places have just been doing the same thing for so long that someone goes, I need to get in shape. And they don't even do any research on the best way to get in shape or think about their health. They literally just go back to the traditional things that they've done. Hence why it's really, really hard to make an industry shift and make a huge change. You can appeal to tradition. We've always done it this way. This is the way we, we have to start with squats. You know, we have to start with squats, but it is ridiculous because at the end of the day, I'll tell you what, if you want to have a product where you can charge more, help more people and do something amazing, don't do what everyone else is doing. Brad Thorpe just recommended a book called Flip, where he's talking about learning as much as he possibly can, flipping that information, and then ultimately going the opposite direction of the industry. I love knowing what the traditions are because frankly, if we do the exact opposite, we may not have the same explosive growth that some other fitness places will have, but we will have the lifetime value because we're appealing to our clients' needs. We're creating long-term changes. And frankly, I mean, for me, my average lifetime client value, I mean, most of my clients are with me for at least five years. And that's not because I'm doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. I'm frankly doing the opposite, but making huge changes. So know the tradition, go the other way. You know, Brandon, I think from a broader personality perspective, when I think about people, I think that people who get stuck in tradition are oftentimes maybe afraid of change they're, uh, and they're not as flexible. And we're in a world now where because of the information superhighway that is the internet and the interconnectivity of the world, that information travels so fast and we learn and we can learn so much quickly. I mean, even the rate of science has exploded over the past few decades. And if you're somebody who's not constantly taking time to step back and think about this and is someone who isn't inflexible but adaptable, 
you're going to be in a tough spot. The more adaptable that you can be, the more you can scrutinize the things that are and are not working, the more logically you can think about things, the more scientific you can be, the faster that you're going to move through all the fluff and all the BS that holds you back, and the sooner you're going to start taking actions that really matter and make a huge difference. And that goes for marketing. That goes for working with your clients. It really goes for everything. Five Pillars of Personal Training is an episode we did a few weeks ago. And I would say on this note, go back and check out that episode because you, if you know exactly who you're speaking to and you know your audience and you know they can afford your services and you know they've got a pain, and you know they're a growing market. If you focus on learning as much as you can on those five pillars, technical communication, business, creativity, and mastery. Focus on being creative for that market. Focus on relearning specific things and getting better at it. Learn new technical things. Learn the language of that particular market and make sure you have business processes that appeals to their sales, communication, style. I mean, ultimately from there, five pillars, you can really do some amazing things. But ultimately, if you want to have a training studio that is absolutely next level, you have to do things that's different than everyone else. Can't follow traditions. Absolutely. Now, this next one is going to be a huge one. It's a big one. And I see it all the time, actually, in different students in the FPM mentorship. And it comes up a lot with one single line. And I'll share that with you in a minute. But that is the guilty by association fallacy or the association fallacy. So what this fallacy essentially states is that because two things share similar qualities, if you have a distaste with for one or you think one is not great or doesn't work or you have some sort of negative association with that, you then start generalizing that negative association to things that are similar. So a great example, and the one I'm going to share with you that's from the Fitness Pro Mentors Mentorship, is that a lot of people say, well, I tried using social media to grow my business and it didn't work. And a lot of these people, when I ask them like, hey, what do you mean by social media didn't work? Tell me a little bit more. I want to understand where you're coming from so we can make this work for you. They say, well, I posted every day on Instagram. I did a whole bunch of stories and it never really got anywhere. It didn't really get me anything. I was like, okay, great. I understand that. Tell me again, who's your ideal target audience? And they often say, well, I want to work with people who are over 40, 50, 60 people who need a little bit of help with pain, discomfort, and they're getting older. And I say, great. Where do you think this person hangs out? And then like crickets, right? And the answer, and we've talked, we talk about this frequently on this podcast is those people tend to be more on Facebook. Different age demographics are on different social media platforms. Most young, young people are on TikTok. As you get to high school into the late 20s, a lot more people are on Snapchat and Instagram. And as you get north of 40, 50, 60, 70, those people are going to be on Facebook. So if you are trying to reach an audience of people who is 50 plus, and they're not on Instagram or they're on Facebook, but are you spending all your time on Instagram doing all your marketing there? Of course, you're not going to see the return on investment that you want. It's like you're trying to go uh, fish in an area of the ocean where there's no fish. You're not going to catch anything. But they associate social media not working because it didn't work on Instagram, so it must not work on Facebook either. And that's where we have to start thinking about this more logically, uh, more logically, ration things out and think about it just so we can get some more clarity around it. And what we found is that when our... Um, students in the mentorship have started switching to Facebook and gone fishing in that area. They're finding more leads that are warmer because that's where their ideal clients are hanging out. We did that within Strata. I mean, there's one thing I spent openly before 
Before Glenn started here, I spent a ton of years doubling down on Instagram and making it really, really beautiful. And I was studying photography at that time. So I was taking really glorious pictures and trying to make our grid look fantastic. And we did grow our followership. But one of the things I did in the mentorship as a quick little exercise is I posted an Instagram story 24 hours before the mentorship call. And I said, I want to show everyone one of the reasons why I don't post on Instagram nearly as much anymore. First and foremost, I think maybe we've gotten two or three clients of the thousand plus posts we put on Instagram, maybe two or three solid clients from Instagram, a few communications, but that's about it. The majority of our growth on social media has come from Facebook and then second from in-person presentations and connecting with people. But most of that advertising has been on Facebook. On Instagram, the story that I posted had, I think maybe like 110 different people had viewed, viewed it. And I pulled it up in the mentorship so everyone could see. And I showed everyone that had seen my story, which is a tracking method that you should do if you are using Instagram. In that method, 85% of the people that were following it and liking it and engaging the story were other trainers. And a part of the challenge that I have is I've been teaching and teaching internationally for quite a while. I did some presentations in Portugal, in the US, it's been a while for that stuff and across Canada. So I have this really interesting notoriety and Strata has notoriety internationally which means that there was a bunch of people, trainers from Portugal who are watching it and a bunch of US friends who are trainers watching it. The number of prospective clients was really, really low. The number of people who were clients that were watching it was a little bit higher, but they started following the page after they became clients and they go, oh, they have an Instagram page, cool. That metric is extremely powerful because now after seeing that, it's great to see we've gotten 800 plus followers on our page. It's great to see that we're getting a lot of engagement in our stories. It's not great to see that we're not hitting our market. Big reason why for us is our age demographic is not on Instagram. They are not cruising around on Instagram. They are a little bit. I'm finding out some of them are more and more, but they're literally just looking at pictures and they're not engaging and using all the features. However, Facebook has a much better market for us. And that's where, I mean, as Glenn just told you, 50 plus leads within a couple of days from one of the strategies, which is not that difficult and all of you can do it. One of our students, a couple of our students did the same thing mm -hmm. and got a ton of leads and a ton of clients as well from Facebook. So just throwing it out there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's another big one that I'd love to share that is super important. And I think we actually, if we, if we think about going to parties, we're going to social events, we've all met a person like this, or maybe you know one personally, which is fine too, where you're in a group of people and you're talking about something and let's say it's exercise. So you're there, you're talking in a group of maybe eight other people, just having like a round table conversation, round table conversation over a couple of drinks and maybe some good food. And somebody says, oh, you know what? I did bench press the other day and my elbow hurt. Now you're a knowledgeable professional and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I wonder why that is. And in your head, you're thinking about all the list of things that might be causing that potentially, but you know that without collecting enough information on this person and assessing them and, and doing a little bit of work with them that you can see for sure, or at least with some degree of certainty, what's actually going on. And then someone from across the table who is in banking and marketing or something like that, uh, networking, doesn't really know anything about exercise, but exercises themselves all of a sudden says, well, maybe it's because you're lifting too heavy. I think it's because you're lifting too heavy. And in your head, you're like, well, this person didn't, doesn't have any information about, about this other individual. They're not very well knowledge in the field. And they're now asserting that this is the cause of your problem. And this is where we come into the fallacy of the Texas sharp, excuse me, the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, which is improperly asserting a cause to some kind of outcome or some kind of group of data and information. What we don't want exactly, right? It's a little bit wordy, but we all kind of go through this. We've all seen this where people are coming up very hastily and very quickly for reasons why something's happening without actually having the right information to make that 
um, inference. And that's going to be killer because a lot of times you or me or anyone who's getting used to marketing doing it for the first time is either going to see some kind of success or see no success and instantly jump to the conclusion, well, marketing doesn't work online or marketing's never going to work for me or X, Y, Z. And you know what? You might be right. You might be, but you have to do the time and the due diligence to click some more information and analyze and take a look at this more objectively before you make these hasty generalizations. It's going to kill you when it comes to marketing and you're going to waste when it comes to technical sessions, a heck of a lot of time with people. If you are trying to go with the shotgun approach, trying everything and see what works or thinking that you know what the problem is with the client or what area needs to be worked on and then spending weeks doing that just to realize, yeah, that wasn't really the issue to begin with and I just wasted thousands of dollars of this client's time, hours of their time and probably tarnishing the relationship a little bit. You know, it's funny you bring that up. I think that's a big pet peeve of mine. Mine too. It happens a lot and it's not even just as like, I mean, we can talk about business conversations. We've been talking a lot about that in this podcast, but when you're working with a client, someone will say something like a subjective soundbite that they've heard before to associate with something that they're feeling. It's my SI joint. Oh, it's my fibromyalgia. Like something that is a, a common soundbite and hinge on that as if that is kind of the main pillar of their defense and it becomes a fact. So one of the challenges, what I used to do, I don't know if you've done this, is one of the things I used to do in my technical sessions is someone would say something like, oh, it's my SI joint. And I would add that, not knowing that it's not really a fact, but I'd write it on their page and be like, okay, SI joint. And I would kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit. The challenge is, is that I would suddenly now kind of make that a da piece of data. When in reality, the real data was their subjective experience, which led them to believe that it was this thing called SI joint because it's in this specific region. And it gets really complicated. I mean, this is where personally, I don't engage in any social media written debate because most people that write anything about any sort of like technical stuff when they're talking about exercise, it's so littered with micro sound bites within it, like using words like stability and functional. And, you know, I can't even think of others. Just there's so much of it that you have to like debunk what they've said first, clean it up, and then have like a tactful conversation. But then when you get to the number of people who are truly uneducated on a subject and try to input their information as like a fact, I mean, that's fine to have a conversation around it. I just think that it's actually more of a communication problem, in my opinion, that there's people who have egos. They're trying to put their, they're a high level engineer. They're brilliant at one thing. And because they're brilliant at one thing, they, what is that cognitive dissonance? Where they believe they're brilliant at everything. And they try to share that information as if it's a fact. And then you have to get past it. And it's just, I mean, family conversations, I don't know about you. You guys know I know a few things about exercise and so does Glenn at family dinners and stuff like that. I do not talk about any of the stuff I talk about here because it just turns into this whole hodgepodge mess that's just unenjoyable. Yeah, and I mean, there's so many other things to unpack in that as well. I mean, the appeal to authority comes in with that cognitive dissonance too, right? Just because somebody is well-knowledgeable or well-versed in a subject doesn't mean that they're well-versed and well-knowledgeable in the subject that you're talking about or it doesn't necessarily mean that they're right. And we see this all the time. I mean, listen, I know a lot about exercise. I know a lot about business and marketing, but it doesn't mean I know everything and that I'm always right. And this is why we have to humble ourselves and ask more questions and get more information, right? The person that often knows the most and that I would have the most fear about debating in a room is the quietest person. 
because the quietest person in the room is taking everything and they're thinking about what they're going to say and they're really getting a feel for what's going on before they say anything. And so the last person to speak who's the quietest is usually the person that I'm paying the most attention to because I find that person often is going to be the smartest, probably most intelligent in terms of thinking logically, uh, working things out in the room. Now, I think a lot of what we talked about today especially when it comes to Facebook conversations online, is going to filter into this very last fallacy, which I want to get into. And if you have anything else you want to add, Brandon absolutely would love to hear it. But that is the ad hominem attack or the ad hominem fallacy. And all you have to do is spend five minutes in any online debate that has more than 20 posts to see this come up. And an ad hominem fallacy or an ad hominem attack is when you go after and start attacking the person and their credibility rather than the actual content of what they're saying. Attacking the person instead of their argument. It's fine to not like somebody. It's fine to think that they're a skeezy, sleazy person. It's another thing to understand whether or not what they're saying is accurate or true. And listen, we're not a political podcast. I'm not going to talk about anything specific in politics, but this is essentially politics in a nutshell, which is people finger pointing and blaming each other and calling each other names rather than actually talking about and addressing the issues. And we need more of that when it comes to the world of marketing. And we need more, not more of a sort of ad hominem attacks. We need more quieting down our egos and more listening and trying to understand people when we're talking about this stuff. Because when it comes to marketing, growing your business, even if you are having adverse reactions to what the person's saying in terms of like what they think you should do and how it makes you feel, because guess what? We're all emotional beings. Even the most logical people have emotions. And I know that even when we run our FPM program, we're going to say some things sometimes that people don't want to hear. Not like we're attacking them personally, but if we say, hey, we want you to start going live and start talking to your audience live and saving that stuff, some people have never done that before. And they have this emotional fear response of like, what am I going to look like? What am I going to sound like? I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. And then oftentimes, if you don't have control over yourself in those positions, it's very easy to start doing mental gymnastics to come up for reasons why that's a bad idea or why this person's wrong or what did Glenn and Brandon know anyways, right? An ad hominem attack. You listen, you, you don't have to like us. But that doesn't necessarily mean what we're saying isn't going to help you or isn't going to be true. And the more that we as people can listen to what people are saying and parse out is what they're saying grounded in fact and cause and effect and logic and science versus making it about the person and the words that are coming out of their mouth and our like or dislike for them, we're all going to be way better off. I think at the end of the day, with all of this, mm -hmm. we just need to focus on being open-minded, try to be unbiased and have genuine conversations with people because personally if anyone ever listens to this and i'm not sure if glenn no i know glenn could say the same and same with taylor if someone listens to this and you disagree with us i'm a hundred percent okay with being told that what i'm saying is wrong and that there is more information for me to learn if someone says something like that and then personally attacks me i'm not even gonna listen i might try to actually look disseminate through the facts and but if someone's out there to try and hurt me, to bring me down, or hurt Glenn, I mean, those people are not in my life. And at the end of the day, there should be really one main focus, depending on who you are. It's to help people. And Fitness Pro Mentors is designed to help fitness professionals like you have the careers that you love. And Strata is designed to help people who are struggling with pain feel better now and feel better longer so they can continue to do what they love. And if we're not thinking about genuinely helping people and being focused on the other person, 
we can't make any big changes in the industry. Mark Magna, I just interviewed him on Friday, and he said something that really stood out to me. And he said that they used to have a, a motto on the wall that says, treat others how you want to be treated. But he said that they, stopped, they took that down and they stopped that because that particular saying, treat others how you want to be treated, comes back to you, right? It should really come down to how do you, the other, how does the other person want to be treated? And are you treating them that way? And if you treat them that way, it creates an awesome opportunity to make great connections and learn more together. But it comes down to not being biased, having great conversations, being open-minded, and not attacking people. And I think that's a big problem in the world <laughs> in general, but as a small community here in Fitness Pro Mentors, if you're listening to this as a podcast, you're watching the live stream, we can do it. We can do it. Yeah. You know, we interviewed Teresa Gagnon on our uh, personal strata page uh, a couple weeks ago. She's a wonderful local um, uh, yoga teacher, but she's so much more than that. I mean, I, I wouldn't even try to put her in any kind of box, but she is absolutely amazing at finding ways and being able to love every human being that that is there and accept them for who they are while agreeing or disagreeing with some of the things that they say and the opinions they hold. When you speak to her, she doesn't make you feel wrong if she disagrees with you. And if we could all have conversations like that, I think the world would be a, a better place. I couldn't agree more. Glenn, that was fantastic. Great. So I want to just put through this out there that Glenn organized this ridiculous episode. The show notes he's got here are extensive, clean. Uh, if you're ever thinking about joining the Fitness Pro Mentors program, we've got two mentors, Taylor and Glenn. They're both awesome. But I will say this, that uh, this guy has uh, really, really been pushing and leveling up. So you're crushing it, man. Thanks, buddy. Crushing it, man. What is this? A heart? little heart. Heart. There, there we, we go. go. Cool. Lovely. So, Glenn, um, what the heck's your pick of the week, man? Well, my pick of the week is going to be this. Actually, I'm going to give you two things. One, I'm going to say Greg Mack's Muscle System Specialist course because he does an absolutely phenomenal job at explaining biases and showing you how they affect your decision-making when you work with clients. It was one of my first exposures to understanding how errors in the way I was thinking about things and my logic and my reasoning was affecting the way I was helping my clients. And even if you just clean up the way you're thinking about exercise and refining your logic around it, you will start helping people and you'll speed up their results. And that makes you more valuable, allows you to charge more money. Highly recommend taking that muscle system specialist course through Exercise Pro Education and Greg Mack. My second pick of the week, something that you can take off right now, is go to Wikipedia and look up list of fallacies or list of biases. And we talked about seven or eight today, but there are probably 30 or 40 main ones with a whole bunch of sub ones. But if you want to start educating yourself now and learning more about how the way you're thinking about things might be hindering your progress and want to learn more about how you can start removing those fallacies and those biases so you can speed up your learning process, speed up the results with your clients, improve your marketing, all that stuff, being able to logic and reason out life is so important. As a quick analogy, I, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and um, I dislike astrology. Um, because I know there's a lot of people right now that put a lot of stock in that about how they feel and they base that a lot about astrology and astrology is supposed to be, I guess, the study of how the planets and the stars and the universe is aligned in order to bring you what you want or things to be careful of, but there's no scientific logical basis for that. But if you, if you enjoy it and you like it, that's fine. But for me, when I think about astrology, I'm like, this is just another form of prejudice and bias, right? And at the end of the day, the best decisions that you're going to make in your life are going to be the ones devoid of prejudice and bias. So take a look at the list of those fallacies. Have at it. I think it's going to be great. Brandon, that's my pick of the week. What you got going on? 
My pick of the week is actually going to be leading into something that we're going to be talking about tomorrow in the 10 a.m. training of our study group community for the Fitness Pro Mentors program, which, by the way, is an extremely affordable way to get access to all of our business stuff. Super cool if you're listening to this in the future. Uh, But I'm going to say webinars and presentations. And the reason why I'm going to say that is that, in my opinion, one of the most powerful things that you can do and I've ever done and Glenn has ever done and our students ever done has done is you can work on social media and marketing. But at the end of the day, you your brand and people know, like, and trusting you is a very powerful thing. If you have all this incredible knowledge you can provide, getting it in front of people in a concise, professional, deliverable way is extremely powerful. If you can, this is the hinging point off of tomorrow's training, build a presentation, something that helps to share your amazing offer with people. Take that offer and go to chiropractic clinics. Go to Massage Therapy Studio. Go to Teresa Gagnon's Yoga Studio. Go to these places. Create a custom version of that presentation for those people and show them how amazing your particular exercise services are for their market. You will be so happy if you put yourself in front of a bunch of people and show them what you know and how it can help them solve their pains in tandem with the thing they're doing. Why should you go to other businesses? Honestly, that person has spent all these years building a market. For you, if you can go there and present to that market, you now have the trust and authority of that professional who's endorsing you, and you can grow even faster. So I'm going to say webinars and presentations at other people's places. That's fantastic. We do lots of webinars and seminars and presentations here, and they are amazing for building your business. Even through the COVID pandemic here, when things have been open and closed in Toronto numerous times, more shut down than not, we've still managed to have people come in and be new clients from doing webinars and seminars. I can't speak enough about them. As things start to ease up here, I'm really looking forward to doing some more in-person ones with people coming to our studio because I think, I mean, it's just a great way to build the business, but also help more people, like educate them and like change the course of their lives, even just by hearing you talk about stuff that they care about so i can't say enough about how amazing those presentations are everyone thank you so much for checking out this episode of the fitness pro mentors podcast glenn and i we are the minds on muscle show and we are committed to bringing you high quality business information so you can have the career of your dreams for as long as possible in person you know the whole anti-online coaching online coaching program Uh, if you enjoyed this episode please give us a five-star rating you can find us everywhere podcasts are and at the end of the day please Give us some feedback. We want to make sure that we're providing you high quality content to have you the career of your dreams. Happy to give you whatever you want. So please comment below, send us a message, send us an email, fitnesspromentors at gmail.com, and we will absolutely make an episode just for you. Everyone, thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it, and we will see you all real soon. Take care, everybody. That was a good episode. It was a good episode. I liked it. I don't think we talk, I don't think people talk enough about how to think about things. No, fallacies, biases, all kind of good stuff. Yeah, we even do a full one on biases alone. Until next week. Oh, take care, everyone. <laughs>